0: is from Romans chapter 8 beginning at verse 18 it's page 1135 I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, and brought into the freedom and glory Of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, shall we pray for Peter as he comes to speak to us? Father God, I thank you for Peter. I thank you um, for the way that you have been speaking to him this week as he has prepared. to speak to us. And Lord, I pray that you will fill him now with your Holy Spirit and that you will take his words and that they will speak into our hearts and minds in the way that you you have for us this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Well, last, uh, last week, if you were here, uh, you will know that we started a three-week series, three series on what the Bible says about creation, about this world that we live in, and uh, the world we're, we are called to steward as those who are made in God's image, and to care for this wonderful world that he has made. So last week, we looked at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the foundational scriptures in this uh, in that theme, that scriptural theme, that biblical theme, and uh, we looked at that. But this, we're going to look at a different scripture. We're going to look at a very different scripture, really. And we're going to see what St. Paul uh, says about creation. Uh, you might want to call it creation theology or eco-theology, but uh, this is what we're looking at. And uh, in the week, I was thinking about how these two approaches differ, and uh, how uh, the Bible the Bible looks at, uh, at the same thing, but has a, a wonderful way of approaching it in different ways. So Genesis uh, approaches it in a very down to earth way. Uh, it, it's a very you know if you like when you if you're gardening you're getting your fingers amongst the soil in the ground. That's Genesis. It's very much a kind of earthy kind of view on on creation. St Paul, however, we're looking at Romans. St Paul approached it much more kind of aerial view. You know, if you're in an aeroplane and you've got a, a view of the earth from, from the skies, or you're on the top of a mountain or, or a, a big hill, you're looking down, you can see uh, the, the sort of the land in front of you, the scenery. That's how Paul approached it, with that sort of aerial view. And uh, so we'll see that uh, in Romans chapter 8. If you haven't got it open before, you please do. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 23. It's always good to check out what the preacher is saying. Always good. So, we're going to see, with astonishing clarity, uh, this uh, plan of salvation, just in a few verses, God's plans, plan for salvation, uh, for God's creation. And once you've got that view, when you've glimpsed that view, you will never forget it. So, last week we looked at Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, the human race is put in charge of the creation. And yet, as humans, we rebelled. Our forebears rebelled and creation fell as well. So Genesis chapter 3, like that's just fallen over there. Genesis chapter 3 verse 17. God says very strong words to Adam. God says, cursed be the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. So compare that with what St. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 in verse 20. He says, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Now, we haven't read all of chapter 8, have we? But but in chapter 8, what Paul is doing is he's building up a picture of, of the wonderful place we have as sons and daughters of God. This amazing place of influence that we have as sons and daughters, as children of the living God. And yet, there doesn't, there's no change in that status, however, we do not escape the suffering of this world. You can't escape the sorrow and suffering of this world, even as a son or daughter of God. You cannot escape that in this world that is a a suffering world. So if you look back to verses 16 and 17 this is what he says immediately preceding the passage we read he says the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children now if we are children then we are heirs heirs of God and if co-heirs and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might may also share in his glory and then what Paul then goes on to say is he's then, he then launches into this, uh, this uh, reflection, this teaching on suffering. Now, Paul is primarily talking about suffering for your faith. He's talking primarily about, as a, as a Christian, as a believer, we will suffer for our faith. But that isn't the only kind of suffering he's talking about. Because if you look forward into uh, further on in chapter 8, you'll see what he says. So if you look ahead into verse 35, you'll see what he says. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of God, from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? So basically he's talking about suffering generally. He's talking about the whole range of suffering. He's talking about... Physical suffering, he's talking about sickness, whether that's a a physical or emotional or mental sickness. Uh, We may be suffering because somebody we love has died. We may be suffering because we've lost our job. We may be suffering because our business is going down. We may be suffering because we can't make ends meet. We may be suffering because somebody has hurt us deeply. We may be suffering because our children have hurt us or disappointed us in some way. We may be suffering because our marriage is shaking. We may be suffering because our neighbours are annoying us, etc., etc. Paul is talking about suffering. And he says we groan under the weight of our suffering. So in this passage and just beyond it, he talks about groaning three times. Verse 22, verse 23, verse 26. He says we groan. And what is that? Well, groaning is that a deep grief and sorrow over our circumstances. The pain that we're in. And it's true, isn't it? There is, the, the world groans. And much of it because of what Adam did. And Eve did. In the first place. Now, you think that when God saves us, he would deliver us from the groaning of suffering, but he doesn 't he doesn 't lift us out of that. The good news that he will one day of course there will be no there will be no suffering. The good news is that, but not necessarily in this life, but in the glorious future that he has got ready for us, yes, there will be he 's going to turn our groaning into glory, but chapter eight is all about how do you live triumphantly in this present age that if you want to if you want to get into it look at chapter eight that's what he's talking about how do you live the triumphant christian life in this age of suffering now i've thought about how to approach this and and i've decided that basically the best way to do this is to is to do a verse by verse exposition because it'll just help us to get to grips with what paul is saying paul a theologian is hard work but he's great because when you dig into what he's saying, there's so much reward from it. So we're going to dig into his theology, and we're going to see what he says about this suffering that we're in, and the glory that is ours as well. So verse 18, he gives us a general statement, a comparative statement of the significance of glory and suffering, suffering and glory. Romans 8 verse 18, he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Now, I'm going I'm to just leave a pause. I want you to read that verse to yourself and I want you to try and think about what he's saying. So just literally read it to yourself and just try and have a think about what he's saying. Now, as I, as I tried to think about that, I, I had in my mind a, a, a scales. You know, like if you're weighing out, measuring, uh, summing, it might be cooking or whatever it is. And I, it's kind of like he's got a, a, this balance in his, in his thinking. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. So what he's doing is he's putting on one side of his scales the suffering that you can experience, that the world... That we experience in this world. And for Paul he knows about that because he suffered it. He suffered from shipwrecks. He suffered from being beaten. He suffered from being stoned. He suffered from being robbed. He suffered from being sick. He suffered from being hungry. He suffered from being cold. He suffered from being exhausted. He suffered from being maligned. He suffered from being ridiculed. Do you get the point? He has suffered. Paul has suffered So he places all of that suffering on one side of his scales, and then what he does is he places the glory on the other side, and guess what? The glory outweighs the suffering. Hallelujah. The glory outweighs the suffering. Because absolutely the the suffering does not compare with the glory. It doesn't. There's no comparison. He says to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he says this. This is an amazing verse. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us, listen, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Wow. A far more exceeding weight of glory. And then he goes on to elaborate what that means, this glory that shall be revealed to us. And that's where he says creation comes in. Verse 19 says, the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That glory, that exceeding weight of glory, that heavy glory is going to be so great that the whole creation looks forward to it. Creation, he says, is in eager expectation for it. It's straining its neck to see it happen. It, you know, when you've been, Have you ever been in a crowd of people... And uh, there is a famous person in that crowd and you're looking for that person. Have you ever been in that situation? Maybe in London or I don't know, wherever you've been. Uh, When we lived in Perth, the Queen came to Perth and it was on the, uh, the, the riverside, it was an amazing place, a huge esplanade, thousands of people flocked to see Her Majesty, literally thousands of people and we were there in the crowd. And I was straining my head, my neck to see the Queen, she was about half a mile away from me. I could hardly see her. I thought thought I'd kind of get near her, but no. Thousands of people wanted to see her as well. Paul is saying that. It's as if your creation is aching to see the glory that is to come. Now what does he mean by creation? He basically means nature. That is everything that is not human. Everything that is animate or inanimate that is not human. And so nature is on its tiptoes; it's literally on its tiptoes, straining to see this glory that is to come. The earnest expectation of this amazing event—the revealing of the children of God—which corresponds to the glory that will be revealed in us, in verse 18. So we are already sons and daughters of God; we are already—that is our status as a, as a Christian. But when Christ returns, it will be manifest. It will be open. It will be obvious. Everybody will see it. But we're not in that place. We don't, ev- not everybody sees it right now. The Apostle John says this in his letter, the first letter of John, chapter 3, verse 2. John says, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Now, that might help you when it comes to uh, a, a meeting or a, a, a fellowship time and you know we don't always get it right as christians do we we don't always get it right sometimes we say things a little bit unkindly or sharply behind other people's back or to someone's face and so this might help you to, to think well they they are a child of god and yet it hasn't been manifest in its fullness yet we are being made like christ we're not there yet and paul says even nature is looking forward to the day when that will be revealed when nature will be delivered from the bondage that it's in verse 20 for the creation was subjected in frustration or to frustration to futility not willingly not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope so paul says nature is frustrated because of the sin of adam it is cursed it can't fulfill its purpose. The purpose of nature is to glorify God. It is frustrated. So let's go on. Verse 21. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So as I said, creation is on its tiptoes, is straining out to see when this is going to happen. The liberty of the believers, the liberty of the children of God, when they enter into glory into their freedom to glorify God. But he says creation is in bondage to decay. Now, I want you to be impressed by this, because as you know, I'm not a scientist, but scientists call this a second law of thermodynamics. Did you know that? I didn't until I did the research. It's a second law of thermodynamics. Everything is running down. Everything is, that's what it means apparently, everything is running down and humanity is speeding up the process. In January of 1989, Time magazine had on its front page, it named Earth as the planet of the year. The planet of the year. And the reason reason for that is because of the fact that the Earth has taken such abuse from humanity. It was named planet of the year. What have we done? I said this last week. We are are hunting animals to to extinction. We're destroying the ozone layer. We're letting in radiation from the sun. We're dumping pollution into the seas and into the rivers. We're dumping plastics into the oceans. We're destroying and we've destroyed forests. We are eroding the oil. We are ruining the earth. And there's only one way to describe it, and Paul puts it in like this in verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Creation is groaning in pain. But it's not just pain, it's pain with a purpose. Now, I've never given birth to a child. <laughs> but, I have watched somebody do it. It's pain with a purpose. And John Calvin put it like this, it's not death pangs, it's birth pangs. And the pain has got a worthwhile end to it. It's going to culminate in glory. The Old Testament prophets put it like this, the desert will blossom like a rose, the wolf and the lamb will feed together, the lion will eat straw like the ox, and nothing will hurt or destroy in all God's holy mountain. The rivers will flow clear again. And so if that is the destiny of Earth, it's, it's sensible that humanity's job is to prepare for that day, by, that day by being responsible stewards for the Earth, of the Earth, by protecting it, preserving it, conserving it and treating it with sensitivity and care. So creation groans, but someday it will be delivered. it will be released from that corruption, that bondage to corruption, when the children of God enter into their glory. This is the last verse we read verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we as we await eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies. Now Paul throws in a bit of Old Testament here as well. We have the first fruits of the spirit the ministry of the Spirit in our lives is the pledge and the foretaste of the blessings that will be ours in the future. The first fruits, just as the first fruits for the Old Testament, for the people of God in the Old Testament were the pledge and the foretaste of what was to come for them, the Spirit is the foretaste of what is to come for us in the ages to come. Exodus 23 verse 19 says, Bring the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. But, as I keep saying, that joyous prospect does not eliminate the present groaning. Our souls are saved, but we live in bodies that are decaying. I saw it in my eyes, own eyes at the nine o'clock. Dora collapsed. We suffer the ravages of disease in our bodies. We grieve as those we love die. And we long for our culmination as adoption, as God's son and daughters. The day when our bodies and cells will be released from that. And raised immortal and incorruptible and delivered from all pain and death. The redemption of our body, Paul says. The glory that, that will be revealed. The revealing of the children of God. And many of you I know have suffered and are suffering painful illnesses. I know that. You're suffering right now. And you can identify with what Paul is saying in this scripture. Some of this church family have suffered immense pain, and indeed are suffering the immense pain of having lost a loved one. There are, other, there are many other sorts of suffering out there. There's, I've said them. Mental pain, loneliness, the suffering of a lost identity or purpose, and so on. And that is why we need to hold on to these scriptures. Hold on to them. Grip on to them. Because these are precious truths and these are very precious promises that we have here in Scripture before us. One day for each of us, we will know that there is more to our adoption into God's family than we already experience. One day your adoption and my adoption as a son or daughter of God will be fulfilled when our bodies are completely and finally liberated from the effects of sin and death. Free from pain. And God promises as our Father, and those who, of us who know Jesus as Savior, we are promised that perfect body with no weakness, no blemish, no defect. You and I will be in an exalted position in the new heavens and the new earth with our precious God. All the riches of heaven will be ours to enjoy forever and ever. The groaning will be turned into glory. What a wonderful hope. But don't be mistaken and please, I urge you, I encourage you, don't just hold on to that in the ages to come, but live it now. Live the Christian life now. Yes, in eternity it will be complete. Yes, it will be fulfilled. But Jesus calls us to serve him in the here and in the now. As he brings his kingdom in. Kingdom living starts now. And goes on into the world to come. But consider this. Because this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. If you are a Christian here today, you are destined for glory. Because of his grace and mercy, you are destined for indescribable brilliance and beauty. You are destined for holiness. You are destined for sinlessness. You are destined for joy. You are destined for glory. 1 John 3 verse 2 says this. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we yet will be yet has not been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So why not begin living that right now? In the light of what shall be, maybe very soon. Let's pray. Again, let's just be quiet and just, let's just let that scripture soak into our minds, into our hearts, and into our souls. Creation waits in eager anticipation for the glory that shall be revealed. Father, we thank you that you will never give up on us. That you will bring us into glory. That you will transform us from one degree of glory to another. That we shall see you face to face. That we shall have that body, that life that is incorruptible. But Lord, help us in this present age of suffering. Help us to live our life with you, knowing that you are faithful, that you will never give up on us, that you have a plan and purpose for our lives. Thank you, Lord, for your endless grace, your endless mercy, your faithfulness to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour. And in his name we say, Amen and Amen.